Acts chapter 6, verse 1 and 7. 1 through 7, sorry. I'm going to read it at large, give you my title, and we'll jump in. Verse 1, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Why? Well, because their widows, that's the Greek-speaking widows, the Grecians, were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve, the original twelve apostles, called the multitude of the disciples or church members unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. In other words, we can't take care of this ourselves. Verse 3, wherefore, brethren, here's the plan. Look ye out among you in your church. Find seven men of honest report. They need to be full of the Holy Ghost and full of wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. But we, they're reminding them once more, this is the second time. The apostles, the forerunners to what pastors will be, we will give ourselves continually to two things, prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so you see what happens. They said, we got a problem. People are getting neglected and we can't solve the problem ourselves. We've got to preach and pray. We need people from the congregation to step up. We need people full of faith and wisdom and the Holy Ghost to help us care for these widows. Verse 5. This is a miracle in and of itself. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. (laughs) This wasn't a Baptist church. There's no way. (laughs) And they chose Stephen. A man full of faith in the Holy Ghost. That's important. We'll study it in our next sermon. He he elaborated on Stephen because Stephen's going to be a main character in the next two chapters. So he chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and uh, Nicanor, and and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God was increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Here's the title of the message. The church split that never was. The church split that never was. So far in the book of Acts, we've seen this early church explode in growth. It's not by mistake that Luke gets specific about the numbers in here. Numbers are important. Why? So we can pat ourselves on the back? No, because numbers represent souls. That's why we keep track of like growth steps. We want to know how healthy we are as a church. It's only one metric. It's only one metric, but it's an important one. Chapter one, 120 members. Chapter two, 3,120 members. Chapter three, 8,120 members. Chapter five, they lost count. They just said multitudes were added to the church. Anytime you use the word multitude up to this point in the New Testament, it meant thousands. Most scholars tell us by the time we get to Acts chapter 6, this church was running on the Lord's Day 15,000 to 20,000 members. That's the size of liberal Kansas. That's a big church. That's massive growth. Our text today is going to show us that with this kind of growth comes two things. Blessings and burdens. A good illustration of this is a pro basketball player by the name of Anthony Davis. When he was a sophomore in high school, he was only six foot, two inches tall. He was a starting point guard for his high school basketball team. But 
his senior year, he grew to 6'10". That's 8 inches in 18 months. The blessing of his growth was that he only had one offer to a college, Cleveland State University, when he was 6'2". When he got to 6'10", he was the number one recruited high school player in the United States of America. But his growth brought challenges. His parents had to buy new clothes constantly. He had to learn how to play a different position. He had to learn how to rebound and block shots and post up. His heroes that he watched all the time shifted from, from, from the small point guards to the big post players. For Anthony Davis, growth came with blessings and it came with burdens. Of course, another example of this is the families in our church right now that are having children. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And there's so many blessings, is there not? Joy, inviting these little ones into our homes. It's amazing. How many know that the more the family grows, the more challenging it can become? I just told you, Kelvin Tiff, they've had two kids for the last several years, so they've only had to play man-on-man defense. One parent per child. They just had a third. David and Hannah just had a third. They've got to play zone defense now. And the Lynch family... They got to run a full court press the rest of their lives. (laughs) And we love the Lynch family, by the way. And we want them to keep on having Lynch babies. You get the point, don't you? Growth brings challenges and excitement, blessings and burdens. Our text is going to focus primarily on how to navigate through the burdens that come with church growth. But I want to make this point really clear up front. Church growth is a good thing. Church growth is a blessing. Now, there's a kind of church growth that we need to be leery of. Okay, I'm talking about the kind of growth that comes as a result of marketing gimmicks and watered-down sermons and shallow expectations of its members. That will draw a crowd, but it won't build a healthy church. I'm not interested in drawing a crowd. It's not what I'm interested in. God has called me to build up people. That's what we're interested in. And the kind of growth that the early church experienced came as a result of passionate gospel preaching and fervent prayer. That's the kind of growth we need. I'm talking about the kind of growth we're experiencing today as a church with the baptism of seven people. The kind of growth that we anticipate over the next quarter as 23 family units are either in fellowship 101, 201, or 301. 23. That's something to be excited about. It's good growth. However, church growth comes with baggage. There's such thing as growing pains. In fact, these growing pains can be so severe that they can split a church right in half. That's what could have happened here. These people were upset who were getting neglected. But because they handled it with wisdom and flexibility and humility, we don't have to read about the first ever church split. We get to read about the church split that never was. I don't know about you. When I'm dead and gone, I I, I want people to not look at Fellowship Baptist Church and say, that used to be a good church. Until it split. I'd like them to look at this church and say, by the grace of God, that's the church split that never was. Here's how the sermon will break down. Two challenges, two priorities, and two responses. 
Let's study together. Number one, two challenges. There were logistical challenges and there were relational challenges. Okay, I'm not going to show the verses as I walk through them on the screen. I want you to see them in your Bible or on your phone. And so it's important that you have your Bible open and study with me. Verse one again. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring or complaining of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. The, the first challenge that came as a result of church growth was this logistical challenge and not being able to care for the widows. And, and not all the widows, just a small segment of the widows in the church. Now, now think about this. It would have been a tremendous challenge to catalog the needs of 20,000 people, right? Right? I, I mean, Mr. Parsons, you would agree that you can't keep track of 20,000 citizens. That'd drive you crazy. And, and 20,000 church members, you can't keep track of that. Plus, keep up with all the widows in the church simultaneously. Now, in the early days of the church, the Acts 1 days of the church, when they ran 120, there might have been a dozen widows or so. Which would have made it possible for the Apostle Peter to say, hey, I'll, I'll swing by Esther's house and see if she needs anything. Or the Apostle John to say, hey, I've got, I've got, I've got some groceries that I've got to go get for my family. I might as well stop by Ruth's place. Make sure she has the supplies for the week. But, but taking care of the members in the early days didn't require the same level of attention that it would have required by this point in Acts chapter 6. I mean, there's no way that 12 apostles lacking access to Microsoft Excel could keep up with everything. But the challenges didn't stop there. From these logistical challenges flowed relational challenges. Because verse 1 says that the Greek-speaking widows and the rest of the Greek-speaking members of the church uh, called Grecians were complaining about the Hebrew widows and the other Hebrew members. Why? Well, there was already some racial tension they had to resolve after they were saved. These two people didn't like each other in general. When they passed each other in the street, they didn't shake their hand and say, Hey, brother. It's not what they did. They didn't like each other. So when they got saved and came to the church, they already had racial tension. You can study it yourself. But the reason why they went to complaining about each other is because the Hebrews were being taken care of, but the Grecians were not being taken care of. So they started complaining. How many know that's the most natural thing to do when you're offended? You complain. And how many know you normally don't complain by yourself? You don't look in the mirror and say, man, my church stinks. No, you call your buddy. You text your sister. I I can imagine that when the Grecian widow named Mary, I doubt that was her name, but she got word that Peter dropped some groceries off at the Hebrew widow's house named Esther. She got upset because Peter never stopped by her house one time. On top of that, Mary's family, who happened to be members of this church, got upset because the church wasn't paying attention to them. And then when the Grecian woman named Jerry heard that the Apostle Paul stopped by Ruth's house to see if she had the supplies for the week, they got upset because John has never once knocked on their door. Never once even sent a text message. Didn't even like their Facebook post. And Jerry's family got upset. So you know what happened next? They went to church on Sunday and Mary found Jerry. And they shared their complaints with each other. They went to murmuring about Esther and Ruth and how they had special status in the church and how Peter and John were playing favorites 
They're supposed to be pastors who love everybody and they just love the Hebrews. What's the point? Relational challenges rose out of logistical challenges. And it's no different at Fellowship Baptist Church. Both of these kind of challenges have existed in the past. They exist in the present. And as long as we grow, they'll exist in the future. I'm talking about people care. Since becoming pastor in 2020, one of the biggest challenges for me to manage has been caring for all the people of our church simultaneously without letting anyone feel neglected. And while at the same time writing quality sermons and leading the church and school ministry at large, it's hard. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm just telling you. I've had a hard time managing that. Jenny and I talked about this on our drive home Uh, on Friday. We constantly feel the weight of our human limitations when it comes to this logistical challenge. And by the way, these apostles, this wasn't human failure. It was human limitation. And our hearts honestly, genuinely break every time it gets back to us that someone feels neglected. I hate that. She hates that. Because now on top of having a logistical problem to manage, we have a relational problem to fix because somebody has been offended. And sometimes justifiably so. Do you know what this shows us? It shows us that not much has changed since the days of the early church. Church leaders then and church leaders now have to learn how to manage the logistical and relational challenges of keeping up with the growth of the church. And we have to constantly be devising new ways to handle new problems. So what's the solution? How do we manage this tension? Well, the apostles are going to give us a solution. But check this out. Before they do, they're going to teach the church that two things must remain a priority for them as the church leaders no matter how many needs arise within the church. Two things are God-given priorities. Verse 2, look at it. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. What does that mean? They're saying, this is a real problem. We're not denying the problem. It's real. It has to be solved. But this is not reason for us. There are some reasons why the pastor must leave prayer and preaching to go and attend to the people. There are some pastoral issues that he cannot stay away from. And that's fair. But they said this particular issue with the Grecian widows, this is going to pull us away from from the priorities that God has given us. And we can't serve tables. We can't go deliver food and still keep these things a priority. Verse number four. But... We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now get this. There's two priorities. Prayer and the ministry of the word. Two challenges, logistical and relational. Two priorities. Prayer and preaching. The the apostles basically said if we dealt with this ourselves, we'd be forsaking our God-given priorities. So we're not going to do that. Now at first, that sounds callous to me. Like, who do these pastors think they are? Too good to go visit the widows? Bible says that, that true religion, pure religion, undefiled, is, is that you serve the widows, James 1. Are these pastors too good for pure religion? Do you get this tension? You might think, pastor, you should be available 100% of the time. You're a pastor, it's what you do. Well, to that, I would say, sure. A pastor should always be willing, I wouldn't use the word available, but willing to love and serve his people. If that's above a pastor, then pastoring is above that man. 
But what this passage teaches us is that pastors do have God-given priorities. And those priorities involve the spiritual care of the people over the physical care of the people. That doesn't mean the physical care is unnecessary. We're gonna, that's how we're going to end our message. We're going to come up with a plan to meet the physical needs of the people. But when it comes to the priorities of the pastors, the spiritual needs are what they're supposed to deal with. Why? What is it about prayer and the preaching of the word that makes this such a priority for pastors, even over the physical care of the people? What is it about these two things? Well, I'll show you. Look at verse 7 of our text. Look at it, look at it, look at it. And the word of God increased. What does that mean? They kept it a priority. The apostles were able to keep preaching the word of God. They protected that priority. What happened as a result? Verse 7. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. The priority of preaching was protected and the mission of the church was advanced. Well, I got another one for you. Flip back to chapter 4 or it will be on the screen. Verse 31. And when they had, next word please. That's a priority. The place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the what? Word of God with boldness. Those are two priorities. What happened as a result of protecting those priorities? Verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. What is it about prayer and preaching that, that, that makes them so important that they ought to be protected even above the physical needs of the members? Well, it's these two things that God has chosen to build the church, to advance his mission. It's these two things through the book of Acts that would continually be used by God to change the world. If the apostles spent their best time managing physical needs and putting out fires from relational tensions inside of the church, they would have no energy or no time for prayer and preaching the gospel outside of the church. Get this, the apostles weren't arrogantly saying, uh, we're too good and we're too important to care for widows. It's not like the, the apostles were sipping Middle Eastern lattes while the seven delegates did all the work. They were busy men. Look at the last verse of chapter 5. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They weren't on their back porch. They were teaching and preaching every day, all day, in the marketplace, in the synagogues, in homes, and getting in prison for it. Watch this. The easier option, should you think that the apostleship and pastoring is easy, the easier option would have been to give up preaching to take care of benevolence ministry. Not to give more attention to speaking the word. But the apostles knew it was these two priorities that they had been called by God to fulfill. And it's true, church. Listen, giving people food is a great idea. It's a biblical idea. Praying with people when they're sick is a great idea. It's a biblical idea. Visiting our widows is not suggested by Scripture. It's commanded by Scripture. God delights when we do that. But without the preaching of the gospel and fervent prayer, the church will quickly dwindle down to no one. There won't even be widows that show up. 
Homeless shelters and and food pantries are are great things for the body of Christ uh, to support. And we do and we should. But what gives the church its identity, what keeps it on mission is the preaching of the gospel. I hope this helps you understand. And I know I'm speaking to our church family today. But I hope this helps you to understand why sometimes the pastor isn't always available. Why I'm not always in the trenches of every single ministry endeavor. Or organizing every single meeting. Or at every single event of our church. It's not because I don't want to. Don't ter- interpret as that. It's because I'm called to give myself to prayer and the ministry of the word first. And that takes a massive amount of time. Let me say this, when, when something pressing comes into your life that needs the assistance or the care of the church, and you could really use the pastor, please remember that due to these two priorities, I might be willing, but I might not always be available to be the one that cares for you in those moments. It may have to be a pastoral staff member, an elder, a deacon, a connection group leader, a school teacher. Man, I I wish I could be there for everyone, every time. But in a church our size, that's not possible. But but know this, please. That if I'm not the one, it's not because I'm on my back porch sipping one of Jenny's homemade lattes. Or eating her delicious banana pudding every day. It's generally because I want to be dedicated to the priorities God has called me to fulfill. Now let me make an important disclaimer. By no means does this imply that I shouldn't be accessible to people or make myself available to meet the needs of our members. It doesn't mean that I I should lock myself up in my office all day and not be among the people. The Bible calls me a shepherd. The best of shepherds smell like sheep. Don't tell me I smell like sheep. I know you're thinking it. I love being among the people of our church. I love being out in our community. I love that. If I could give up preaching and and it just takes so long to write a sermon. I don't know if you understand. It's just hard. It's really hard. But but, but I'm telling you, the easier thing for me to do would, would just be to go out in the flock all the time. Go out in the pasture. All the time. That would be the easier thing. But, but know in my heart that I do want to fulfill what the Apostle Paul called pastors to fulfill in 1 Timothy 2. Where he said, I not only gave my life to preach the gospel, I gave my life to them. I want to do that. 30 years from now, I want to be able to look back and say, Tyler Prater gave his life to his wife. He gave his life to his son. And then he gave his life to his church. Not just in the pulpit, but out of the pulpit. But it's important for our expectations to be realistic. Because as the church grows, I can't do that for everybody. While at the same time protecting the priorities of prayer and preaching. Does that make sense? So I want to look at that phrase and I'll go to the last point today. In verse 5 that says, the saying pleads the whole multitude. 20,000 church members said amen. They recognized preaching and prayer. As being two things that the apostles shouldn't leave for the sake of meeting those logistical and relational needs of the church. And they allowed for it. So I believe this text teaches us that our church is most healthy internally and most effective externally when its members allow their pastors to prioritize what the Bible commands them to prioritize. You may think, okay, I get it. I can go with that. You can't take care of everybody who's going to do it. 
People got to be taken care of. Widows got to be visited. And you'd be right. The apostles didn't just tell the Grecian widows, would you just be quiet? Get off Facebook. Be quiet. Sunday's coming. Do you want a sermon or you want groceries? That's probably a dangerous question. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't tear them down for being concerned about this. They weren't insensitive to it. They weren't dismissive about it or defensive in any way. They said, we see the problem. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to keep the main thing, the main thing with the apostles. But, but we're going to provide a solution that involves everybody. It's called shared ministry. That's how they responded, in shared ministry. So we've got, we've got two challenges We've got two priorities. Now we've got two responses. You can respond to the challenge of church growth in two ways. You can murmur or you can minister. You can murmur or you can minister. Verse 1 says they murmured. They complained. That's one possible response. And that's the easier one. Come on, how many know that's the easier one? Verse 5 says they chose seven Grecian men who were members of the church to minister to these widows. That's the hard choice. Now you've got to organize another ministry. Now you've got to keep seven guys accountable. Now you've got, you got to look at the membership role and try to find seven guys that are full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost, and full of wisdom. And that are respected by those Grecian widows. That's hard work. But that's the real solution. That's shared ministry. So, so when, when, when church growth brings challenges... We either murmur or we minister. We either share complaints with each other about these challenges or we share in ministry with each other to solve the challenges. How many know that complaining doesn't help meet the needs of the church nearly as much as it hinders the unity of the church? In fact, the worst thing you can do if you're part of a growing church is to complain about the challenges associated with growth. We're called to rejoice in the right kind of growth, to steward growth wisely, not complain about it. The best thing you can do is become part of the solution. Ministering is the best response. We've got to realize today that not every problem in the church needs to be solved by the pastor. Sometimes and most of the time, problems can be solved and challenges can be managed when the members of the church share in the burden of ministry. So, I'm going to do what the apostles did. I'm going to refuse to be dismissive about this challenge Of people care in our church. I'm not going to be defensive, dismissive, or just move past it and generalize it. I'm going to say this to you. We have outgrown our systems and processes at Fellowship Baptist Church when it comes to caring for the physical needs of people. The staff, uh, we sent our wives to get coffee on Thursday morning in, in Branson, and we spent about four hours talking about this. And, and, and we talked about how that we've got to form a system for the pastors to offer spiritual care outside of the pulpit in a more intentional way. And we're going to do that. But then we talked about how are we going to, how are we going to keep prayer and preaching a priority while at the same time meeting the demanding needs of a growing church? Ironically, I say that loosely, ironically, the next chapter and verse that I'm preaching is Acts 6. You can't make this up. So I don't need to, I don't need to like think of cute series to preach other than when we absolutely have to have them. I just need to stick with the Bible. 
Because it answers the needs of our church when we need them. So where did the apostles start? They started with choosing seven men. Now, some people call these deacons. I don't think they were deacons. The office of a deacon wasn't established until later on in the epistles. But I think they, they were a precursor. They were forerunners to deacons. Just like the apostles weren't pastors. There's some differences there. The apostles were the forerunners to the pastors. But this is descriptive, not prescriptive, but we still get a good idea, some clues as to how to handle the challenges of church growth and care for people while advancing the mission at the same time. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to call on our deacons to be deacons. Had a good talk with our deacons. We have seven of them. Seven. Can you believe that? Seven there, seven for us. But don't get too comfortable. That number doesn't matter. We're getting more. They only had a small summary. You're like, yes, I know it. They're so biblical here. No, seven doesn't even matter. But anyway, the, 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 they were only ministering to a very small portion of the widows. Only the Greek-speaking widows. They only needed seven. The principle is you need to get as many as you need. So we've got to start praying about two or three more deacons. Men full of faith, wisdom, and the Holy Ghost. Selecting deacons is not a popularity contest. Did you hear me? It's not a popularity contest. We pray, the pastoral staff, the deacons pray and pray and pray for God to raise up men in our church that become obvious to us would make good deacons. I think we have some of those men. And and Lord willing, very soon we'll, we'll add them. Why? Not because I need more people around the table to talk about church problems. I need more deacons to help solve them. And so deacons and their wives, which by the way, there's a qualification for deacons' wives too. Now hear me, I'm just talking to my church today just for a second. So if you're a regular tender or whatever, or or whatever, just give me a second. If you're a wife of a godly man, I would urge you to be a godly woman. Because because there, there there is... That's perfect music for right now. There is, that just brings comfort to our soul. That helps us. In fact, can we just get a violin playing right now? That, that would be great. I was trying to help wives be good wives. Um, but I think women, you want to make sure that you're trying your best to meet the spiritual maturity of your husband. Why? Because God might be raising your husband up to be a deacon. But if the wife doesn't meet the qualifications, your husband's not going to be a deacon. It's important. And that's in 1 Timothy 3, by the way. I don't, that's not like in a Baptist manual somewhere. That's 1 Timothy 3. It gives these qualifications. So we take our cues from the Bible. That's where we take our cues for everything from the Bible. Well, where was I? Oh, uh, deacons and deacons' wives. So we're going to just raise up some men. And we're going to organize a really good system. And it's going to take a while to, to master that. But we're going to organize a system. I meet with the deacons at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning. So we'll be able to rehearse those, those, those lists and names. And maybe every deacon will have just, just a, a portion of people in the church. They'll have their contact information. Have their names and their kids' names and their grandkids' names. And, and they'll be able to be accessible and available to take their phone calls and check on them on a regular basis. And, um, and, and each member will know who their deacon is. And then they'll, they'll be able to call their deacon and, and, and obviously I'm available. If it's a pastoral thing, you know that. Um, and, and I know that and I can be there for that. Um, but, but hopefully this system of, of enhancing our deacon ministry will, will help us. But here's what I want to end on today. The deacons can't do it all. 
They can't do it all. They have full-time jobs. They have marriages. They have kids. Some of them travel. They can't do it all. What does this call us to do? Everybody's got to do it. Everybody's got to take it personally that you have a ministry called caring for your fellow church members. You don't have to have a pastoral degree in theological studies to have somebody into your home and love on them. You don't have to have a special position or an office in the church like pastor or deacon to notice when a church member is discouraged, put your arm around them and say, how can I pray for you? Yet so many church members default to this when when, when they see somebody is in need. Have you talked to the pastor about that? Who's your deacon? Let them know. They're not, or they'll just go to murmur and I can't believe they're overlooking you. Grecians will find Grecians. Here's what you need to do. Your antennas need to be up for people that need your care. And by the way, don't get nervous. That doesn't always mean your money. But sometimes it can. Sometimes it just means your presence. It means your encouragement. It means your prayer. It means your advice. And when that happens, guess what? It's your turn. You're up to bat. If somebody needs prayer, don't give them my phone number. I'd love to pray with them, but you can pray. Pray with them. Someone needs a friend. Don't complain that they don't have a friend. They've been at fellowship for four months and they're not, they don't have a friend. Be their friend. Be their friend. If someone's upset, they're talking a bunch of hogwash. Don't talk hogwash with them. Just tell them they're morons and say, love Jesus better. Get your act together. What am I talking? If there's an unruly or carnal Christian, don't gossip about them. Don't say, I'm just going to be the prodigal's dad and wait on the front porch for him to come back home. No, mutual accountability is your responsibility. Provoke one another to love and good works. Warn the unruly, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. That's your responsibility. We share in this burden of ministry. We don't just get a default to pastor and deacons. Pastor and deacons, pastor and deacons. All the church said? You are a minister. That's the point. You're a minister. How are we going to solve this problem? Here's how we'll solve the problem. When the culture of Fellowship Baptist Church turns into a culture of caring. Well, we are. We shake people's hand. That's not caring. That's being friendly. Caring is doing life with somebody. Caring is listening to somebody. Caring is opening your home to somebody. Caring is helping a person find a job when they can't find a job. That's caring. Caring is going and praying with somebody before they have a big surgery. Well, that's the preacher's job. Maybe, but it's your job too. Parents take, uh, caring is taking time to write a letter to somebody you haven't seen at church in three or four weeks. Just write them a note saying, I've missed you. I love you. Let me know if I can do anything for you. Put it in snail mail. That's kind of special for people to get snail mail these days. Actual real life postcard and stamp and envelope. Some people like that still. Are you hearing me? We got to care for each other. Care for each other. That's, that's the, the remedy. I'm done. Let's sum it up. Well, I, I need to, ah, crud, I got to go. I got to go. Okay, let me give you this, let me give you this quote. Impediments to growth. Caused by growth can be occasions for growth when priorities are protected and ministry is shared. I know I, I, I literally, my, my message was 3,900 words today. That's how much was on my manuscript, but that's the message. 
impediments to growth caused by growth, logistical and relational challenges, can actually become occasions for growth. Verse 7, the word of God increased and, and, and they grew more. How? Priorities were protected and ministry was shared. So we're going to beef up our systems and processes to care for people better. It's on, it's on my radar. It's on the front of my brain. It's in my heart. We're not going to always get it right, though. We can't. That's what you're for. You be a caring church member. You share the, the burden of ministry. All God's people say